Everybody needs a Bible. Look under the chair in front of you. If you didn't bring one this morning, there's one around you. If you guys are joining us online, be sure you have the Word of God in your hands. I think it's incredibly important for everybody to be able to see the Word of God for themselves. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be. Uh, We are finishing this series on things that Jesus never said. Jesus never said that, that yet there are things that we often say or have even uh, said to others or have heard, certainly heard from other people. So I'm gonna pray into this and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to be with you. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us that you're always present and that you have things that you want to say here in this moment to guide us, to lead us, to grow us, to mature us and to make us more like you. That's why we're here. And we love you for that. We love you that you won't leave us alone, but you keep pressing and pushing for the deepest places of our heart to come into alignment with you. And I pray that God, you would do that here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We all have, there are phrases that are so common to the world around us that if I started the phrase, you'll be able to finish it. We're actually going to do this. So here's what I I need you to be brave and bold. And I'm going to start a phrase and then you collectively are going to finish it. And we're going to see how worldly wise you actually are. All right. Are you ready for this? What goes around, comes around. You guys are brilliant. Your past will come back to haunt you. Okay, this is the last one. You gotta think on this. You've made your bed, now you have to lie in it or sleep in it, right? These thoughts and ideas are so unbelievable. They're so prevalent, we could all finish them in unison together as a people. I want you to think about this idea that you get what you deserve. All those phrases that we just did together essentially say this one thing. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. And if we're honest at all, we don't totally hate that idea. Because if you've ever been driving down I-65 like a normal human being, And then some dude in a sports car blitzes down the road, right? Just flying down. And then just a couple minutes down the road, you see that guy pulled over. What are you thinking? You, You get what you deserve, dog. All right? That's on you, right? Uh, Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, I have some praying to do. Uh, But the truth is, that's what we often think. You get what you deserve, right? And and we tend to enjoy that, I think, at times. And the truth is, is that, listen, there there is a reality of the importance of being responsible, and there are cause and effect realities. That is true in this life. But while we hold that truth, we have to understand that this this idea of you get what you deserve is pervasive, not just here in America, not certainly not just when you're running down I-65, but it's across the earth. The truth is, is you can examine every other world religion 
You can look at all of them, and every one of them have a leading thought that you get what you deserve. Islam teaches that if you do more right than you do wrong, according to what Allah says in the Quran, then you get into heaven. You just got to be 51% on that side, and you get in. I have been to India twice, personally, on different opportunities to minister in the gospel twice. I cannot begin to describe to you the abject poverty that I saw. And while we certainly have poverty issues in America, I can tell you, I have never seen anything like what I saw in India. Let me tell you why that abject poverty exists. Because there's a belief in what they call karma, what Hindus call karma. And that is this, that if you, uh, when, that when you die, you're reincarnated into the next life. And if you were bad in the previous life, then you're reincarnated as something really awful. And if you were good, you're reincarnated as, some, as, as, a great, as someone that's great. And so when they see people in abject poverty, you know what they think? You get what you deserve. That your life before was so bad that you're in poverty. And so there is, actually it's called the caste system. There's no desire to help those in need because they're getting what they deserve. This is the thought process that we'll see across the earth. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get, you get bad. And every world religion is built around that except one. Jesus never said you get what you deserve. Never once. It's never been uttered from his mouth. In fact, we're going to be able to look into a text and look into the truth of God's word that shows Jesus not only never said that, but in fact, I think he said the exact opposite. I want you to grab those Bibles. I want you to look at Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 32. This is an absolutely amazing text. If you've gotten to be a part of the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this moment where Jesus himself is hanging on the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 32, it says, there are two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Jesus. Jump down to 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's actually echoing some other things that people have been yelling from the floor. Now, we'll just stop there for a moment. Now, this criminal represents one of the most common responses. And I would just say we probably could all be a little bit honest in saying we may have had this response towards Jesus. One of the most common responses that we've had towards God that Hey, if you are who you say you are, then give me what I want. Do what I think you're supposed to do. And unfortunately, as this criminal reaches or leeches out at Jesus, it doesn't move the needle with Jesus at all. But I want you to look at what happens in verse 40 because the other criminal responds as well. Luke 23, verse 40. The other criminal rebuked him, saying, 
Do you not fear God? Since you were under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now this man is confessing what? What's he saying? We're getting what we deserve. And he's getting what he doesn't deserve. Jesus is getting what he does not deserve. We're getting what we deserve. That's what he's saying. Now, the next two verses are really important because they're going to anchor one of the central themes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus looks at him and says, or I'm sorry, the criminal looks at him and says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? In verse 43, Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen, at its foundation, following Jesus is about receiving, not earning. It's about receiving, not earning. Christianity is not about uh, about getting what we deserve or getting what we do not deserve. Now, I want you to think about this second criminal. Um, They're often referred to as the thieves on the cross. In in, in Mark and Matthew, they're described as robbers. But listen, this isn't a guy who just stole a loaf of bread. If you're going to crucifixion, it's because you've done something incredibly harsh. And by his own admission, so in his own words in verse 41, he's saying, we deserve this. So he knows and understands the life that he's lived. Crucifixion, of course, is the most severe form of punishment that exists in that moment, in that day. They did, Romans did it on purpose to intimidate. It was one of the cruelest ways because even though they were nailed to the cross, the way in which they died was through asphyxiation. That they could not, they couldn't, uh, over a period of time, because of their weakness, they couldn't stand to be able to gra- uh, get air into their lungs and they would die of suffocation. In fact, our word excruciating comes from this, the Latin, out of the cross. And so whatever these guys did, it was bad. It wasn't good. And this guy's on his last moment. But hear this. This criminal's guilt doesn't stop him from asking Jesus for something that the world really didn't fully understand, and that is grace. I need grace. Now, he does not use the word grace, but in everything that he describes and everything that he says, here's what he's asking for. Grace. Because grace is about receiving what we cannot earn and do not deserve. I'm going to say that again. Grace is about receiving what we cannot earn and what we do not deserve. It's the essence of grace. And Jesus' response in verse 43 is staggering because he says, today you will be with me in paradise. I think it's important because I think if we use our normal minds, what we tend to think is that Jesus should have said, nah, you had your chance. You had your opportunity in this life to do some good things and you said no. No. But what did he say? No, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
This guy's never gonna have a chance to make amends for what he did. You know, like all of the great Hollywood scripts that we often see, right? Where the villain at some point in time realizes he was really bad. We think of like Scrooge or someone, right? That he's visited by the three spirits and figures out that he's a pretty bad guy. And at the end of it, he's able to atone and make up for and make his... Uh, you know, employee, a partner, and take care of the family and all of those great things. That's how the story goes. This man's never gonna be able to do that. He's on the last moments of his life. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me forever to a guy that'll never be baptized, never be a part of a church. He's never gonna give one dime in tithe, never gonna lift his hands in worship, not once. All he did in faith and repentance was ask for grace. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. This is how Jesus responds. Following Jesus is about opening up our hands to receive, not clenching our fists to try to earn. And I think we often go in so many ways around and around, trying to earn validation to make ourselves right with God. And God's saying, I want you to open up your hands. It's not about clenching our fists. It's about being open-handed. I um, love getting to parent teenagers. I know that it comes with all kinds of challenges. Um, but one of the great things is when you go from... Uh, all the things that little kids deal with to being able to have some very real and even sometimes difficult conversations. I got to have one of those this week in which my own kids, and I just think it was total providence this week that my own uh, two older children were, they were having a debate about the idea of living a horrible life, your entire life, and then at the end, being able to repent and just be okay with Jesus. And there was a little bit of like, that ain't okay, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's not right. And we got to have this incredible conversation around this idea. And I, lo I loved talking with them through it. Where we get to peer into this thing that we often see where there's this idea out there that if you just say the magical words at the end of life, is that what gets you into heaven? Is that what happened with this, uh, this, this criminal here? where you come to the end of a life in which you deserve your punishment and then you just say, hey, remember me and it's all good. Is that what's actually happening? Like the magical thing, if you step through the wardrobe, you get into Narnia and you're suddenly there. Is that what's actually happening? But that's not what's actually happening. Here's what it's important for us to see. And this is what we got to talk through as a family. This criminal surrendered to Jesus instead of demanding that Jesus do things on his terms. Even in this moment where he won't ever be able to live out this faith that he's stepping into, what we do see is a heart of surrender, and it's beautiful to Jesus. What we get to see is a criminal whose hands are nailed into a tree be able to say in his heart, Lord, my hands are open, can I receive the first criminal gets demands for Jesus to operate in the way that he wants him to. The second says, it's not our way. I'm surrendered. 
That criminal, it, one, he acknowledged he was guilty. He acknowledged that what he had done was wrong. He confessed that Jesus was innocent and that he didn't deserve what he was getting. And then he confessed this, Jesus, you're the king. Because what he said is, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be a part of it. He knew he was the king. I see your love. I see your control. I trust you. I surrender to your ways, Jesus. I receive everything about you. Would you remember me? That's the heart cry of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means forever to be a follower of Jesus. Be a people who have hands wide open. That's the foundation. Following Jesus is not you get what you deserve. It's richer and greater. And I think that too often... We, we operate under what I would call toxic guilt. We live that way. And there's all kinds of levels of guilt that we live under. We all do it, right? There's mom guilt, right? That no matter what you do, it's kind of hard to measure up because if you go off and work, well, you aren't staying home with the kids. Oh, if you stay at home with the kids, then you're not helping with the family, right? There's social media guilt, you see some family having an amazing vacation that you could never afford? Or you see somebody on Facebook that's got a pristine and amazing marriage that you don't have, as if. But that's just another. Right? There's just general guilt, right? Just, I don't do enough for other people, or I feel guilty because I... Don't say no to the things I'm supposed to say no to, and I keep saying yes, or I, keep say, I don't ever say yes to the things I'm supposed to say yes to. I always feel pressured to do this. There's spiritual guilt that we experience. I don't serve enough, or I don't give enough, or I haven't prayed enough, or I told a lie, or I took the Lord's name in vain, or whatever it is, or I love Jesus, you might say, but you battle with lust or bitterness or whatever the thing is. And what we do is we'll cycle on and on and on over guilt. And there's all kinds of levels of it. And the enemy's in there poking, saying, your, your day's coming. You're going to get what you deserve. And Jesus is saying, no, there's another way. And it's in that moment we got two choices. When we're confronted with guilt, and listen, hey, the good news is this. If you've fallen short, you're in good company. That's every one of us. Every one of us will fall short. And we will have guilt. But the choice is, will it become toxic? Or will it lead us to the king? Those are the two choices we have, right? These are the two choices. You can when you fall short. When we fall short, just like this criminal on the cross, we can run and hide and cover our shame. And by the way, this has been the MO from the beginning. Genesis chapter three, going back to the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord. They've, they've transgressed God's law. They did exactly opposite of what he asked them to do, to walk in deep and rich, fulfilling relationship with him. They said, no, I think we'll do it our way. And the Lord God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God among the trees of the garden. In the moment of failure, one of the most normal things to do is to try to run and hide. To try to either pretend it didn't happen or to, as if we could ever hide from the king of the universe. 
but we duck our head in shame and guilt and we'll cycle. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you'll cycle over and over and over about how you failed again. You don't deserve the grace of God. Peter actually did this in plain sight. Peter hid in plain sight. Jesus is resurrected from the grave, but we know that Peter has one of the most colossal failures in all of scripture. When he looks Jesus boldly and says, I would never deny you. And then within hours has fully and completely denied him and the shame that's sitting on him. And he's quit the ministry. He's, he's stopped. He doesn't believe him to be able to be worthy to be a disciple anymore. And so what we see in John chapter 21 is Peter's, they're, they're having breakfast. And Jesus, who's so good, is just with that Holy Spirit precision, just going to poke at him to say, hey, Peter, you chilling and hiding in shame in plain sight. I've risen from the dead. You know clearly I'm the king of the universe. And he's hiding. He's, he's run away. And Jesus says in, in verse 17, John 21, verse 17, he said to him, third, so he said, he said, Simon, do you love me? He asked him twice, and this is now the third time. Peter was grieved because he said to him that third time, do you love me? Peter feels that weight in that moment of Jesus asking that question. Now listen, the beauty is Jesus doesn't wonder whether Peter loves him. He knows Peter loves him. What he wants to hear from Peter is, you know, I know that he wants Peter to know I love Jesus. He wants him to say it out loud and make that declaration. So he comes in lovingly needling to say, and he said, of course, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then listen, feed my sheep. Meaning this, don't you run away and hide. You jump right back in to my call on your life. I love in verse 19 because it just says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Remember the first thing that Jesus said to Peter whenever he called him out? What did he say? We actually showed the clip last week. He said, hey, Fisher dude. That's my version. <laughs> Follow me. He's calling him right back. Don't you run from me, brother. Don't you run from me, sister. Because guess what? In me, you don't get what you deserve. In me, you get grace upon grace to call you up into a life you never thought possible in which you are no longer paralyzed by your failures. Listen to this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer allowed to be paralyzed by your failures because you have a king that has done life for you perfectly. He's ready to hand it over willingly, arms wide open, ready to give that to you and say, don't you run and hide. Yes. Come on. You don't get what you deserve. You get me and I'm giving you everything I got. That's what this whole thing is about. You can either run and hide or church. We can stand up by faith in our blood-bought position as sons and daughters and saying, that's my dad, that's my father, and he's leading me to life everlasting. That's where we're going. Ephesians 2, 
It's by grace that you've been saved. It's never because of what you were going to earn. It never was. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's not from yourself. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not by works. Why? So that no one will boast. Not one of us will ever stand in heaven and say, look at all the awesome things I did. I'm going to come there. We're going to get before him. And we probably won't be able to say words. But in our like groaning and muttering and tears, Jesus will know the heart cry. Thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve one ounce of it. You didn't give me what I deserved. You gave me you. I want to just say this. And uh, my wife is so good about this, about saying this, and we've actually talked in this, uh, about this in our family. It's time for us to stop with the, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace. You now are a co-heir with the king of the universe. And you are meant to rule and reign in righteousness with him. It's time for us to start confessing, not I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We were. Now we're sons and daughters of the Most High. We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it's time to live out of that. That's what our faith journey is. It's not somehow trying to work our way into this relationship with the Lord. No, it's receiving the fullness of what Jesus has made us and then going, oh, well, if that's what I am, then this is how I'll live. If this is actually true, then this is what's going to propel me forward. This is the engine that's going to move me today. This new truth. That's what the Lord wants to do. I, th I thank God. I was a sinner. I was saved by the grace of God. But church, I'm a son of God now. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I don't even know what that means, honestly. I don't know. Someday, maybe I'll get the revelation to be able to preach that one. But listen, what, I want to believe it by faith. I want to, with us together, I want us to be a people that believe that by faith that we've been seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Man, we're operating out of something different, something that the world doesn't have, but that the world is being fully invited into. And that's where we want to go. And from that, we live out our call. Because as Ephesians will finish telling us, you are God's workmanship. You've been crafted and chiseled and molded into his image. You're created in Christ for good works. There's so much that God has to do in us and through us. But guess what? These works, God himself prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to notice this. That even our obedience, the good works, it's about receiving. All the good work that God has for us has already been prepared. He's the one that's doing it. Man, we just get to step into it and receive it. This is what he has for us. And so we just say yes. So obedience is what we do when we partner with what God says is true. Obedience is what we do when we partner with what God says is true and we begin to live it out. You, I'm gonna ask our team to come up. We're gonna finish this morning.
being a follower of Jesus is to reject that idea that is known universally, proclaimed through other religions and other philosophies that you get what you deserve. We're not gonna live that way. We're gonna open up our hearts to believe the truth. It's about more than just getting by. It's about receiving. It's not about earning. And I'm just gonna, in fact, I feel like I'm just supposed to pray this over. So if you will, just make your heart ready and then I'll have you stand in a minute. But if, whatever is helpful for you, you guys joining us online as well, just to remove distractions for a minute. And just here in this moment, I want you to just receive, if you're in Christ this morning, receive the identity of Christ on you. You don't have to earn it. Don't try to earn it. Just receive it right now. That when you say yes to Jesus, you've been immediately adopted into the family of the king overall. If you're in this room or you're joining us online and you have never received that sonship, that daughtership, I want to invite you to receive that right now. It's not something you can earn. It's just something you confess and say, I can't do this on my own. I can't make my own way. And receive a fresh identity. here this morning, I want you to pray this, that listen, to pray, God, my significance is not based on anything else except for what you say about me. Not about how many friends I have on Facebook. Not how about many accomplishments or years I've got logged in doing good things. We thank God for all of the good works. But our significance is rooted in one thing. Jesus calls you his own. I want you to receive that you have a call into beautiful and good works. You don't have to earn it. You receive that. That God's got things that he's prepared in advance Meaning if you live in this area, you're a part of this church, you have things that God wants to do in you and through you. He wants to release and reveal. Do you receive right now that your life matters because you matter to God? You're important. Would you also receive right now the unconditional, radical love of the Father? Just receive it. You can't earn it. Just let it wash over you. Ask Him. And finally, would you just now receive the hope that comes from being connected to Jesus. Hope 
for the days ahead. Hope for eternity with him. Hope for Jesus to move and shape and work for your good. Receive it. You don't have to earn it. Receive hope. Lord, I pray that we would all receive these things with our hands open like the criminal on the cross. Not getting what we deserve, but receiving you. Do you stand with me as we finish this morning in worship? I always believe that there's something unique and powerful where the Lord gets to anchor what truth we've had a chance to look at in the word by just declaring it with our mouths. So we're going to sing and let this singing be about God doing a work of transformation this morning. We'll have an opportunity to connect and pray with you uh, this morning uh, at the end of our service. But right now, would you just receive as you sing, as you make these words of declaration to the Father, to Jesus, that you'd also receive and that this moment of worship would be about a transformation taking place in us. Let's worship.